We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Donald Trump to give himself over to authorities for arraignment in Miami on Tuesday. It's so blatantly political. This is a poisonous political hit. New York to follow in California footsteps and create a reparations task force. As far as reparations are concerned, I think they would be a mistake. It would be a, it would be a curse more than a blessing. The Federal Reserve will meet Wednesday to consider another rate hike. Uh, I think that the Fed is going to have to raise rates and better off doing it now. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Monday, June 12th. I'm Mike Scott. Donald Trump is preparing to surrender to authorities Tuesday in order to be arraigned at a federal courthouse in Miami. On Friday, federal prosecutors unsealed a 49-page indictment on 37 counts related to Trump's post-presidential handling of classified materials at his Mar-a-Lago residence. Intense planning underway tonight to make sure Tuesday's surrender of former President Donald Trump goes smoothly. Trump campaign officials say he will fly from Bedminster, New Jersey to Miami Monday, then stay overnight at his club in Doral, about 20 minutes by car from a heavily protected Miami federal courthouse. Mr. Trump is expected to enter the court complex via an underground tunnel to be processed both by the federal marshals and the FBI. The marshals expected to take his fingerprints and mugshot up in the air, whether his passports will be confiscated. In the courtroom, he'll be asked to enter a plea, launching what could be a year-long process leading to the most closely watched criminal trial in American history. Former Illinois Governor Rob Ligoyevich weighing in, saying the indictment of Donald Trump is, in his opinion, clearly political. I think like a lot of Americans, I'm shocked that they would do something like this to a president of the United States. It's unprecedented. No president ever has been charged criminally with documents because that's what this is. President Biden himself has admitted that he had documents, classified documents as a vice president. They didn't charge him, nor should they. Why are they charging President Trump? It's so blatantly political. This is a poisonous political hit by a weaponized prosecutor who is engaged in political interference during an election year. And it's a a part of what's happening to American democracy today. It's this, these criminal prosecutors who have no accountability are injecting themselves in the political process. If you don't like Trump, vote against him. But don't prosecute him for things that are really not crimes at all. In fact, if they're anything, it's a civil matter. Blagojevich goes on to say that his fellow Democrats should not support the prosecution of Donald Trump because it sets a dangerous precedent that may impact the rights of all Americans. Barney Frank, the liberal Democratic congressman from Massachusetts, who just yesterday said that this was a mistake to bring charges against President Trump. There's no evidence of any security breach. There were just documents stored in certain places. Maybe there was some sloppiness, but that's negligent stuff. That's not criminal. And to criminalize these things, again, is 
part of a pattern that these prosecutors have been using for a long, long time. They did it to me. It started back in the 1990s when they were doing it to, to Bill Clinton for things that were not impeachable. And they've taken it to a whole new level with the persecution of President Trump with this Russian collusion, which was shown to be fake and was also showed, frankly, the complicity of the media not doing its job uh, to this as well as some of the other things that are going on with him. So I think we as Americans should put aside partisan politics. I'm calling on my fellow Democrats to put your hatred of Trump aside and put your country first. You shouldn't be for this. Meantime, Mike Davis, president of the Article 3 Project, says this case should never have been brought. They are intentionally ignoring the Presidential Records Act, the Biden Justice Department is, and they keep talking about the Espionage Act that does not apply to a president or a former president's handling of their presidential records, classified or not. Davis points out that, in his opinion, President Biden and the classified documents found in his possession are being treated completely differently from Donald Trump. I would also say, look at how Merrick Garland treated Biden and his stolen classified documents so much differently. It wasn't an FBI raid. He had the uh, Biden Justice Department work with President Biden's personal attorneys secretly for two months to go gather these stolen classified documents. When he got caught, they appointed special counsel Robert Herr, Herr, who seems to be in no hurry to do anything. And the, the FBI went in for the fifth time and they found another set of stolen classified documents. Did Biden's attorneys represent to the Justice Department that they did a diligent search and turned over all the documents? How did the FBI find these documents? How is that not obstruction of justice for real espionage? Vice President Joe Biden didn't have any right to these records. He wasn't a president. Davis believes the indictment should be dismissed and... If it isn't, the Trump legal team should take the case directly to the Supreme Court. I hope that the Trump uh, legal team moves for uh, a dismissal of the indictment on the sufficiency of the the legal arguments. I don't know if it's going to if they're going to be able to get it kicked early. It might have to go all the way through the process, the conviction, the appeal to the 11th Circuit and maybe even to the Supreme Court. But I imagine that the Supreme Court would over. Uh, reverse this conviction because the Presidential Records Act clearly controls here. Jack Smith knows about getting reversed by the Supreme Court. He got reversed eight to nothing when he tried to take out the last Republican presidential candidate, Bob McDonnell in Virginia. Former President Trump is set to host his first fundraiser for the 2024 campaign on Tuesday evening, hours after he is expected to be arraigned in a Miami courtroom. Still, Even after this latest indictment, polls show Donald Trump with large leads over his Republican primary rivals. An elevated section of Interstate 95 has collapsed in Philadelphia, closing the main north-south highway on the East Coast and threatening to upend travel in parts of the densely populated Northeast. Authorities said the collapse early Sunday happened after a gasoline tanker caught fire. The director of Philadelphia's Department of Emergency Management, Dominic Morelli's, says they have a lot of debris to clear. There's thousands of pounds, tons really, of steel and concrete that are on top of where the origin of fire was. Philadelphia Fire Battalion Chief Derek Braumer says the northbound lanes of I-95 are simply gone. We did have a collapse of 95, okay, on the, excuse me, on the northbound side, okay. 
and the southbound side is compromised by heavy fire. It looked like we had a lot of heat and heavy fire underneath the underpass. Retired police officer Mark Fusetti says he was driving southbound on I-95 and started videotaping the scene when he saw all of the smoke billowing up and around the highway. As I approached, you could see how heavy and dark it was. When I drove through it, all I could see was the grass on the side of the road on fire. That's why at first I thought it was a brush fire. Um, you know, and at the time, like I hit a dip, but I didn't realize it. Fusetti says he didn't realize at the time just how bad the fire was. Right there and then is when it looked like the uh, road collapsed. Like I, I didn't realize it until I got home and see now, uh, you know, how insane it was for everybody. Fusetti, who was driving and videotaping the smoke from the fire, says he believes he was probably one of the last drivers to travel on the southbound side of I-95, which was also damaged. I look back at it like shock, like, wow, that was, it could have been so, uh, could have been much worse. And, you know, I was kind of oblivious that at the time, I know a few people when I posted the video mentioned on Twitter, like, why would you drive through it? There were no immediate reports of any injuries. Captain Derek Bomer of Philadelphia Fire confirms the northbound lanes of I-95 are gone and the southbound lanes have been deemed compromised due to the heat from the fire. Over the weekend, New York began considering whether black New Yorkers deserve reparations for slavery. A historic bill sits on New York Governor Kathy Hochul's desk. Legislation to create a commission to consider reparations for black New Yorkers. It passed both the state assembly and Senate Thursday. State Senator James Sanders Jr. sponsored the bill that would create a commission to examine how much New York supported slavery and the systemic barriers to equal economic, political, and educational opportunities endured by black New Yorkers. Sanders says New York held the manufacturing might to process and export cotton from the South. This is where the slave ships were built. And now New York is following in the footsteps of California, the only other state to legislate a reparations task force pointing to its own history of over-policing, mass incarceration, and redlining. California's task force found the state is responsible for more than $500 billion owed to its black citizens. And that might not just look like a blank check for black New Yorkers. It could show up as funding to clean up and rezone black neighborhoods to support small businesses and first-time homebuyers and improve education. Democrat State Senator James Sanders Jr. was co-sponsor of the bill and says that there's no better time to consider reparations than today. We should have done right at the birth of the nation. We should have done right at the end of the Civil War. Uh, But the best time to do right is right now. Sanders says that California's reparations task force will not directly influence what they ultimately come up with in New York. While we appreciate what they have done in California and what they've come up with, uh, we in the Empire State will, will choose what is right for New York State. That legislation, which has been sent to Governor Kathy Hochul for consideration, would create a commission to study the effects of slavery and 
racial discrimination on the entire state and potentially award payments. But the statewide bill on reparations isn't the only one being considered. Democrat Councilwoman Farrah Lewis introduced her own reparations bill on Thursday. However, her bill only covers the city of New York. Still, it would create a nine-member task force that would be required to deliver a report one year after being appointed. This bill would also require the city to install explanatory plaques on sidewalks or other public spaces near schools deemed by the commission and city agencies to be named after a person who profited from slavery or committed other crimes against humanity. Sports columnist Jason Whitlock spoke out against the need for any reparations, saying it's a loser mentality. That is a loser's mentality. That's someone that has raised the white flag and quit and has given up and wants to beg and wants to uh, live off of someone else's guilt. That's not a man. That's a coward. He should know better, do better, be better, and be embarrassed. Fox Business host Charles Payne says giving people money is a curse rather than a blessing. As far as reparations are concerned, I think they would be a mistake for a lot of reasons, including the fact it, wouldn't be a, it would be a curse more than a blessing, just like the stimulus money in the last couple of years, right? We're starting to run out of that cash, and, uh, you know, there wasn't proper financial knowledge. People didn't know how to use it, how to, how to, you know, how to invest it. They knew how to spend it. Same thing. People ultimately end up with more debt and more misery. So it brings me to the greatest transfer of wealth of all time. We're on a cusp of it right now. Baby boomers are sitting on $78 trillion, the silent generation $18 trillion. Gen X has $48 trillion. So over the next 10, 20 years, you're looking at millennials and, and Gen Y, just phenomenal. Payne goes on to say it would be better to teach people financial literacy. The government's going to try to get their hand in the till. There's no doubt about it because you can't have a utopian world where everyone gets money if you don't take it from someone else. Here's the bottom line. We need to teach citizens as early as possible the value of money, how to earn it, how to keep it, how to invest it. Otherwise, just giving away money, it's a curse, not a blessing. Meantime, the New York City Council bill is already receiving staunch opposition from more moderate and conservative members of the council, including Republican Minority Leader Joe Borelli and Democrat Robert Holden. Holden released a statement saying New York has a proud history of fighting against slavery and serving as a refuge for those seeking freedom. Our focus should be on addressing today's pressing issues of our city rather than engaging in divisive debate over copycat bills that detract from the real problems we face. President Biden's disapproval rating remains about 50 percent. Daybreak Insider's Ken Lorman takes a look at the brand new numbers. The latest Real Clear Politics average of 11 national polls finds 55.2 percent of those surveyed disapprove of the job Mr. Biden's doing and only 42 percent approve. That is a minus 13.2 percent spread and not good news for Team Biden. The highest rating he achieved in the surveys was 47% approval, with a low of 38% approval. Ken Lorman reporting. 
This week, the Fed will meet again to consider raising rates. However, some economic experts worry that if the Fed continues to raise rates in order to curb stubborn inflation, the economy may dampen the rally that stocks are finding on Wall Street. However, some like former Fed Governor Frederick Mishkin says he hopes the Fed doesn't pause the rate increases. I think that we're in a situation where inflation numbers are still high, are very slow to come down uh, towards uh, the 2% target, particularly in the underlying inflation, which is a a number that is much more uh, reliable in telling us about what future path inflation will be. Uh, The economy and labor market is still quite strong. There is some weakening, but we've got a long way to go before we contain inflationary uh, uh, pressures, and therefore... Uh, I think that the Fed is going to have to raise rates and better off doing it now to show their strong commitment to keeping inflation under control. Mishkin explains why he feels it's best for the Fed to pull off the Band-Aid now instead of waiting to raise rates. I think the Fed has to be very clear that until inflation really is heading down to the path of 2%, uh, that uh, and it's really clear that it, that, that is happening, that they're not going to pivot. They're not going to reverse course that it's going to take a sustained period of high interest rates to get inflation under control. Uh, And that's a lesson that that, uh, uh, they they should have learned from the past. There have been periods, for example, even during the Volcker disinflation, when Volcker actually blinked uh, and uh, cut rates uh, uh, before their job was really done and then had to raise them even more. So I know people don't like rates to be higher. I sometimes get some nasty emails about this uh, when I advocate that rates have to be higher. But if we don't do it now then they'll have to be even higher in the future. And that's the lesson that we've learned in the past. And I think the Fed understands that, uh, but has to communicate that well as well. Also due out this week is the May Consumer Price Index and Producer Price Index reports, as well as the retail sales report for May and weekly jobless claims. Workers at the Barnes & Noble bookstore in Manhattan's Union Square One of the retail chain's signature stores have voted to unionize. We get more on this from our Daybreak Insider, Jeremy House. They join employees at a handful of other Barnes & Noble stores in the Northeast who have affiliated with unions in recent weeks. The move follows a wave of union activity over the past few years at independent booksellers. The Union Square employees are now part of the retail, wholesale, and department store union. The union cited issues at the Union Square store from harassment to favoritism. Barnes & Noble said it looks forward to a new contract with the store's workers. Ted Kaczynski, known as the Unabomber, died by suicide, according to insiders familiar with his death in prison. We get more on this story from Daybreak Insider's Julie Walker. Kaczynski was 81 and suffering from cancer. He was found unresponsive in his cell at a federal medical center in North Carolina Saturday and revived before being pronounced dead, according to four people who spoke with the Associated Press on condition of anonymity. Kaczynski was serving life after admitting to 16 bombings from 1978 to 1995, killing three people and maiming several others. The Bureau of Prisons has faced increased scrutiny in the last several years following the 2019 suicide of Jeffrey Epstein while in custody. I'm Julie Walker. And finally, fee-fi-fo-fum. If you're in the market for a home over a bridge 
instead of under it. This Los Angeles town has just what you're looking for. Dubbed the Troll House, it's a one-bedroom, one-bathroom home in L.A. going viral for both its $300,000 price tag and its unusual location. For $300,000 or more, you too can be a homeowner in Southern California under a bridge. It's a 462-square-foot, one-bedroom, one-bathroom with a rooftop deck that is street level. You walk the stairs down, and there's your 1949 waterfront property, the Alhambra Wash. The current owners bought it in 2005. The perfect man cave, they thought, but over the years, it became a storage unit. Lee admits it's a total fixer-upper. They know there's a $3,000 mold problem, but in this market, there's a buyer. Yeah, people are still coming up as we're going live asking about the house. Uh, One thing to note, no parking. You have to apply for a permit through the city of Alhambra, find somewhere to park along the edge. But we've seen older couples, a couple of what looked like young adult men, so they were interested in making it a party house. So lots of interest in this. They said, by the way, it's going viral on TikTok. Douglas Lee is the sales associate handling the property for Compass Real Estate and says that it's definitely the most unique listing in my entire residential real estate career. Lee does say the home is in need of some repair, including outlet upgrades, leak repairs, and about $3,000 in mold abatement. People have had plenty of interesting ideas for the property. I've heard ideas for everything, uh, turning this into an Airbnb, using it as a law office. They wanted to do a cigar shop. This potential buyer decided to stop by the open house to take a look at the strange listing. Uh, It's pretty bizarre. I've never seen anything like this. So uh, we're just here to investigate, actually. (laughs) Lee said the house is one of only 11 properties in Los Angeles County listed for $300,000 or less. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott.